everyone, and welcome back to the latest season of New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. This idea of mutual conversion, it's really good to enter into relationship with the other, particularly the religious other. I can give just the honest treasures of my Christian faith, of my theological reflection to another person who doesn't share my convictions, my beliefs, as long as I am equally curious about the treasures of their life, their spirituality, if they have one, or their non-spirituality, if they don't overtly have any kind of spiritual practice. So the idea is that it's an unpredictable process. Who knows whether one or both of us will be converted to some new thing. Maybe I will take a little bit away from their insights and they'll take a little bit away from my insights. That's the kind of model of evangelism, if you can call it evangelism, that I'm a fan of right now. Today is part two of my conversation with John Matthew, community engagement editor of The Christian Century, who pastors a fresh new church called Harbor Online. As Harbor's full name implies, the church gathers, well, not in person like many churches, but Thursday nights dialogically on Zoom. In this episode, faith deconstruction and reconstruction, the importance of an online worshiping community for those who do not find acceptance where they live, and what John's beard says about John's approach to life and ministry. Let's jump right in. It's such a huge topic that we're unpacking right now, and I think many of our listeners will be tracking of like, yes, you know, this resonates with me deeply. Our community has wrestled with this or, you know, someone in my family, maybe a teenager, young adult is bringing up these questions that don't square with what seems like is the main idea that I am hearing from my religious community Mm. as such a huge paradigm shift. And others of us might be worried, like John, if you and I are talking about this right now, is like God up in heaven going like X, like cross our names off the list to heaven, right? It's like, that's kind of like the very limiting belief or fear that we might lean into. I'm curious when you think about, I'm recognizing as a leader, as a person of faith, as a human, I'm done with speculative theology that damns people to lives of fear and violence in their communities or exclusion. I'm done with that. And you open up this acknowledgement that there are mysteries in the world that we don't fully understand. And many of the characteristics of God that I might have been taught are also speculative. What are you left with? Mm. It's a good question. To zoom out quickly again in the beginning of my answer, I think this movement that's happening of deconstruction There is also talk of reconstruction. Mm -hmm. That's a popular buzzword also. But the idea is, as we are dismantling certain beliefs that we've held for a while, we are considering not only which ones to keep, but some of the ones that we tore down, maybe the pieces can be rebuilt into something new. And so I don't feel like in my own personal journey, in any way that I've been left with nothing, or now I'm destitute of faith, This has been kind of an adventure for me, theologically, getting rid of a lot of stuff. I mean, I used to believe in hell. Hell was one of my absolute most bedrock beliefs Mm -hmm. because it was at the heart of all the evangelism I was doing was so that people wouldn't go to hell. And I don't believe in hell anymore. And I don't feel like in the absence of that belief, oh, no, 
now what is there for me to believe? You know, like I get to ponder scripture and my conversations with others and read different people's beliefs and think about like what I think does happen to us after we die, which is speculative. I mean, I haven't given up every single speculative thing. Yeah. I've just given up on having any level of certainty about them. You recognize that they're speculative. Yeah. Which is a big shift. Well, and you know, policing reconstruction has become a really popular thing among some religious leaders, and it's very damaging. So a lot of times on social media, you'll see a Christian leader, typically evangelical, but not always, saying something like, oh, everyone's deconstructing. Oh, it's so cool and hip now to deconstruct. <laughs> Just make sure that when you do it, you end up closer to Jesus than you did before or something like that. Mm -hmm. What it really means, what I read when I see that is I will only endorse what you're doing, all of you deconstructors, if you end up with a stronger sense of belief in my version of Jesus that I believe in. As if we needed the approval of Matt Chandler or some random popular preacher online. And as if like there's some way to measure whether we're closer or farther from his version of Jesus at the end of the process. But there's a lot of efforts to kind of police. This is an unpredictable, unsafe process in terms of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Who knows what I will believe in five or 10 years from now? I feel like the journey, though, of the last five years where I've had so many changes in my faith have been for the better. I feel loved by God. Mm -hmm. I feel loved by the community at Harbor that I belong to. And for so long, I think I was missing that. I would have told you that I felt very loved, but it was more of a intellectual belief that I held than an actual thing that I experienced in my body or in my community. When you talk about your faith and experience of feeling loved by God, the word that comes to mind to me which is not necessarily a one that I hear a lot from post-evangelical community or a community that is inviting deconstruction and open-hearted reconstruction of faith is witness. And the verb witness, to witness to someone, is, is a verb employed, of course, by evangelical churches that the idea of witnessing is often for the purpose of convincing someone to adopt intellectual theological statements and sort of intellectually agree to them to pray the sinner's prayer or, you know, I will get to heaven if you have this intellectual conversion and say, yeah, you know, these four spiritual laws, like I can get behind, I'm going to pray this prayer, mm -hmm. my salvation is secure, witnessing, right? But what strikes me of what you're saying is witnessing as a testimony of like you are speaking from your experience in a very heartfelt, personal, vulnerable way, just honestly, like the conversation between you and me, I don't get the sense that you're trying to convince me one way or another. You're simply saying, when I left this, there was freedom and liberation, and I feel closer to God, mm. which is far more compelling to me as a methodology for, you know, growing a community. It's like, yes, I feel not depressed or despaired when I hear you saying my understanding of faith has radically changed. And this is what it's about for me now. But it makes me feel hopeful and uplifted. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And thank you for also naming the four spiritual laws that throw back <laughs> to my campus crusade days. I appreciate that. So we talk about this yeah. from time to time at Harbor. This is a big deal to us because 
we were all quite committed to convincing everyone on the planet to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to do everything in our power to make that happen in our evangelical days. And now that we've left behind this compulsive need to convince the entire world to agree with us on these beliefs we have, do we still have a sense of mission? Do we have a sense of outreach? Does evangelism have meaning now to us? We wrestle with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And where I am personally at right now with this, I think this was largely influenced by Leslie Newbegin from my seminary readings, mm -hmm. is this idea of mutual conversion. Mm -hmm. It's really good to enter into relationship with the other, mm -hmm. particularly the religious other. I can give just the honest treasures of my Christian faith, of my theological reflection to another person who doesn't share my convictions, my beliefs, mm -hmm. as long as I am equally curious about the treasures of their life, their spirituality, mm -hmm. if they have one, or their non-spirituality, if they don't overtly have any kind of spiritual practice. So the idea is that it's an unpredictable process. Yeah. Who knows whether one or both of us will be converted to some new thing. Maybe I will take a little bit away from their insights and they'll take a little bit away from my insights. That's the kind of model of evangelism, if you can call it evangelism, that I'm a fan of right now and that I talk about sometimes with the folks at Harbor. It's a big topic to reorient oneself on after a long time of being very dedicated to the Great Commission. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You actually have something on your website it's a primary practice in the community at Harbor where an individual can schedule a one-on-one -on -one call with one of the pastors at Harbor to talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. They could say like, hey, I'm getting the sense that I'm not where I used to be in my belief system. And I want to go through a process to attend to that faithfully. You make yourselves as pastors available to folks to help them process their evolving faith journey. Yeah. And it is one of the most delightful parts of my job, to be honest. I, just like one example, I scheduled a call with a person who signed up on our website, had never met me or any of us before. You know, she was working for, she is still, I think, working for a very well-known, very conservative Christian institution. And every six months has to sign, re-sign wow. the <laughs> statement of faith and behavior to stay employed there. And she no longer could agree with it, really, but was trying to navigate. And basically, she didn't stay at Harbor. I had one call with her, and it was a lovely call. And she wasn't able to be part of Harbor, because if she did, it would accelerate her deconstruction process, mm. which would then jeopardize her employment that she had. Yeah. But in doing this, she told me that she was queer. And I was able to just tell her, hey, I'm just giving you my opinion here, but I'm very convinced that God loves you, not in spite of your sexuality, not only if you agree to some path of celibacy, but in every way factoring in who you are and your sexuality, God deeply, passionately loves you and is so glad that God created you and that you exist and that you can um, live and love and, and all this stuff. And it was pretty clear to me that I was the first person to ever say that in her entire life, mm. being so firmly ensconced in the conservative evangelical world. Just to be able to be the first person to say words like that to someone, it's such a privilege. So I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to do the, the work that I can do at Harbor. It's incredible. 
and the focus that you all have in part because you have this streamlined way of being as a church. You do not have a building that you attend to. You do not have a great deal of meetings and committee structures, etc. to attend to. You have conversations that make space for people to hear that and to invite their own personal story into conversation and explore that. You have the community gathered and you have organizing around the kind of world that you believe is invited by people of the Christian faith to be practical about that scattered all across, you know, any context someone who's a member of Harbor might find themselves in, not just in Pittsburgh where you originated the community or in Chicago where you live now, but anywhere. Yeah, it's, you know, we we have a Facebook ad. We run one Facebook ad every day. It's the same ad. It's been the same ad for months. It will be the same ad maybe forever. Um, And we put like $3 a day into this ad. That's our outreach budget. Yeah. But it's so important that we do that. We've had a couple people even say like, why do we need to pay for an ad on Facebook? It feels a little bit skeezy maybe to some folks, <laughs> but we have to, we have to, because there are people all over the country and honestly all over the world who are looking desperately to cling to faith in Jesus, but to escape from the kinds of church contexts they've been in, in the past. And if you live in a rural area, if you live in the deep south in the U.S., good luck. I mean, I I really do. Good luck. Like, I hope they can find a great place in their neighborhood, but they're not likely to. And so if you're in that boat, how will you ever find a community? If you're not able to find one physically, I think the next best thing is to be able to find one online. And so those folks don't know who we are. We don't know who they are. So by putting a little Facebook ad out into the world people can find us and they have. And yeah, we have new people signing up every week. They don't always come to our gatherings, but we at least can email with them and and get to know them a little bit. And yeah, from all over the US, Canada, and a few folks from other continents as well. So Mm. I love what you said about the space, making space for folks in those contexts. And what calls to my attention is that there are also folks in other contexts who can find a community in which to belong and be themselves, where it might be more difficult to find a community like that that is organized around not being God. You know, that we're not the ultimate power in the universe, mm-hmm. that you all have attempted to find a community and live into a community where uh, God's love is central. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think in most places you can find inclusive community. I don't actually know if that is true, but I think it's probably true for most places. But for a lot of people, it might be like at the local comic book store or something. Like it's not going to be faith-based. Right. You kind of feel like you have to leave that out to find it, which is so sad. Exactly. So what a lot of folks do who, you know, deconstruct is they just give up on Christianity. They give up on church and faith. And, you know, the, the posture we have at Harbor is that if that's someone's journey, then that's their journey. We're not there to say oh, you're deconstructing wrong. Like you actually, you threw out the baby with the bathwater. You need to come be part of Harbor or go to some local church. Mm -hmm. No, they might be at a place in their journey where church is a no-go for them. And we just want to like honor their story. And we're here. We want to let them know, like we're here. If the time comes where you're ready for spiritual community again, where you want to look at the New Testament again, then you have our website, you have our link to the Zoom call, but we're not going to pressure anyone to be at a different part of their journey than they are. Yeah. If you think about the next seven days or next month as John Matthew, follower of Jesus, 
or whatever term you would use to describe your faith, what are the high points for you? Like, can you distill personally just in these days in which you find yourself participating in ways that help you move forward as the person you feel you're called to be? Next seven days of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there qualities? They may not be events. They might be yeah. qualities. They might be values. What makes me excited to be alive and to do the work that I'm doing yeah. is human connections. Mm -hmm. So that's true at both my work at Harbor and my work at the Christian Century. As the community engagement editor at this magazine, I try to increase the communication between the magazine and the actual people who read it. So I email a lot of people. I write emails. I do social media stuff. I make videos trying to engage the community. And there are people who read this magazine who clearly want to be my pen pal and my friend. And it's amazing. It's not always what I picture. A lovely man, he's honestly, he's one of my favorite readers of the magazine, but he just emailed me a detailed description of his colonoscopy the other day. Oh. Not what I was expecting. But <laughs> even that, like this man, for some reason, wants me to be part of his life. And I'll take it. I mean, I will be part of this guy's life. And at Harbor, it's the same thing, connecting with folks. And the week of this conversation, we are having an exciting special guest who is an expert on Howard Thurman. Mm. And so we're going to be doing a conversation and a meditation together based on Howard Thurman's work mm. and also talk about the relationship between faith and public policy. I think it's just going to be a really cool conversation. So there's always stuff like that, too, coming down the pike that makes me really excited to do this kind of ministry. Yeah, absolutely. I think in those conversations we do get the chance to share in open-ended ways about how we discern what we are led to do. Like the colonoscopy thing, for example, or it made me think of one of my neighbors who had first grade for the first time yesterday. And he's like, uh, did I tell you, you know, what my specials order was like his special class. And I thought like, that just felt like a holy moment that Alex wanted to like tell somebody about, when gem was and when art was mm -hmm. a present attention to what is real, which wasn't necessarily to me less religious than a sermon, for example, truly. And, you know, I think about the space that you create in this work. You do it with a lot of humor, just like on your bio, which is John's prodigious beard is like a scary looking representation of his curiosity, sense of humor, and desire to build community. When you talk to John, these things are visible and ever growing, as if bursting out of his face in all directions with no signs of grooming, which is just so, this is an awesome way of describing uh, <laughs> how you do what you do, because you put humor into it and you very carefully calculate in the gatherings online how long a group goes into a breakout room and like what portion of the conversation is dialogical. Yeah, I know. Thank you for enjoying that ridiculous <laughs> bit of, of comedy writing I, I tried to do. I think that humor is incredibly important it, just in life in general. And also, you know, trying to build community on Zoom. And imagine being a first time guest yeah. at a church meeting on Zoom, which I've done, you know, as a yeah. participant in a few churches during the Zoom era and you don't know anyone. You don't really want your camera to be on because you don't really want people to see you when you haven't met them yet. And yeah. we understand that it's a weird experience for people to join us for the first time, but we really want them to mm -hmm. if this is the kind of community they want to belong to. And so I try to use humor 
pretty often in our gatherings. If everyone's laughing together, then like some of the ice has already been broken and relationships can start to be built and trust can be formed. Yeah, also very intentional about how long each part of the meeting lasts and wanting the experience to just be conducive to the things we want it to accomplish, which is people feeling safe and people feeling like they have new friends that they can talk about spiritual things with. And a part of the meeting we haven't mentioned yet that I think fits into this aspect of things is every week, if we can, we schedule someone to share part of their story. So someone will talk about themselves for five or 10 minutes, and then we'll open the floor for Q&A. And that is consistently... The feedback I get is that that is the most meaningful part of the meeting for a lot of people, a lot of weeks, which I don't take offense to when I've planned our dialogue that's separate than that. <laughs> it's like, um, it is the best part of our meeting most of the time. And it's something that's missing from a lot of church communities, right? Of course, it's missing from the worship service because other than prayers for the people when they are done well, there's not really even a, a moment in most liturgy planning to have people talk about what's really going on in their lives and what makes them who they are as a person. And then even outside of the worship service, I just think a lot of church communities, it's hard to create spaces for people to really be vulnerable with each other. And so that's a time in our meeting every week where there just is typically a lot of vulnerability, a lot of good listening, and a lot of really good questions are asked, but offset by humor because that's a really heavy part of the meeting usually mm. and don't want it to be an hour and a half of just absolute gut-wrenching like emotional work that everyone has to do together. So there's times of a lot of vulnerability and there's times usually with a lot of laughter. Mm. John, will Harbor Online ever gather in person? It's a great question. I think the answer is yes. And the pandemic has really thrown a wrench in our plans. We keep thinking, okay, next season we'll start planning the first ever Harbor online community retreat. We'll find a good central location and we'll all go there <laughs> yes. for a weekend or a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And every season it's like the pandemic has some new wave, some new mutation, and the numbers never really go down all the way. So it's on hold indefinitely for right now, but yes, I do imagine at some point we all would really, really like to get together for a retreat or something like that. Mm, what a meeting that would be. Yeah. But if you meant like on a regular basis, then the answer would be no. I mm. think we are really committed to being an online community for some of the reasons I described about being able to be there for people to belong to when they don't have something in their local context. Mm. All right. I got one more question that is on everyone's minds. Uh, <laughs> what are your speculations about the life beyond this life? Oh, wow. Okay. So a book that I really recommend that has influenced me a lot is N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Mm. However, he's leaving the door very much open in that book for hell, which, as I have said, is a belief I jettisoned a while back. So I would say what I believe is basically N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope, but you just take out the part where he talks about hell being possibly very real and you just insert some nice universalism in its place. And that is pretty much what I think. So his main thesis is that it's never been about an immediate afterlife where a soul is going to go. It's always been about the new heavens and the new earth and this very physical, this realm, the two realms, the realm that is hidden from us now that's fully mysterious where we believe God is. And then this concrete realm that we live and move in. These two will be fused together in the end times, in the end of days, and there will be this new heavens and new earth. And that is my hope. It is speculative. I had to write a list of beliefs for an ordination paper that I wrote recently, and 
I listed a bunch of just the typical classic Christian beliefs, but I just made an annotation that when I say believe, I don't mean what I used to mean when I said believe, hmm. because I used to mean this strong mental assent, this like, I am very, very confident that this is actually what is true. That's not what I mean anymore. I, I just mean hope now. I hope that at the end of days, Jesus will return, will give us a new heavens and a new earth, that everyone will be there, beloved by God, belonging to God, belonging to each other. That little piece of that is what we're trying to do, you know, now at Harbor. Thank you, John. This has been thoroughly thought-provoking and hope-giving, John. I'm so glad you're out there doing what you're doing in the way that you're doing it. It is a model for us going forward. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Sarah. It was great to be here. That's it for our conversation with John. But you can check out Harbor at onlineharbor.org or find out more about John, including his recent article in the Presbyterian Outlook titled, Ex-Vangelicals Are Coming, How Will Mainline Denominations Welcome Them? Coming up next are more episodes from our insightful guests as we explore the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. Make sure you click subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single conversation. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Our fabulous producer is Marthame Sanders. You can always visit us online and see archives of all of our episodes at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.